Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back to Q Commentator, or indeed hello if this is your first visit. My name's Nick Heath and, uh, well, I'm a commentator who simply loves the art of commentary. And in this series, I love taking you with me as we take a deep dive into what makes some of the world's greatest commentators tick. How and why they do what they do when they've got the mic in their hand. Uh, Now, it would be rude of me not to remark, perhaps even apologise, for the ridiculously fragmented nature of what I am still stubbornly uh, going to call Series 2. We had six episodes in Series 1 last year, then I kicked off Series 2 in September, uh, which got as far as three episodes before the Rugby World Cup rather took over my life. Uh, We then dipped into a new episode with Andrew Cotter at the end of March, and now, at time of recording, it's June. Uh, The report card will read... do better. Uh, But for a bit of uniformity, so we know where we all are, uh, though you probably don't care, uh, this is episode five of series two. Uh, The good news is that next week we'll have episode six and then we can sign off uh, series two. Then we're straight into series three, uh, which I'm thrilled to say will roll through for another six weeks. So uh, we have basically about eight episodes to come, uh, including this one, which I'm thrilled with. Uh, Also delighted to say that there is no compromise on the quality of guests that we have coming up. Some crackers and some great stories, I can assure you. Um, A moment of housekeeping. This is Q Commentator. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Uh, Go on, do that thing. Just there. Yes, please. Yep, lovely. Um, And a review on iTunes also goes down very well. Um, I think everyone in the world currently has a podcast, and although the the subject matter of this one might be a little specialised, the more of you that review it, the more chance there is of some other sports and broadcasting fans getting their ears around it. Uh, That would be really fantastic. I think Thank you in advance. We are also on at Q Commentator on Twitter. I'm on at Nick Heath Sport. Uh, but you are here for this episode, and I was thrilled when my colleague Jack Murley, who is doing some brilliant things down in Cornwall, not least with the BBC's LGBT Sport podcast. Keep up the good work, Jack. Uh, but he put in a good word uh, to connect me with today's guest. He is BBC Radio's football correspondent, just the fourth man to hold that title in 57 years. Uh, He's most regularly found on the airwaves of BBC Radio 5 Live covering football and golf and more besides, and his northeast of England tones mark him out as one of the warmest, most descriptive and distinctive voices of our time. In this episode, John Murray is my guest, and he talks to me about learning from the great Ron Jones, how he's 
forced to hold a tune around a table with the singing maestro John Hunt, previous guest, of course, uh, how his journey to becoming a commentator was almost a reluctant one, uh, and how he frames the real challenge of commentating on radio versus TV. Uh, not just an observational thing there, but actually really uh, how challenging he's found it, which uh, which is very interesting. Um, there are plenty of laughs in this one as well, as John was so generous. I should say this episode was recorded remotely. Uh, I've done my best to edit down some of the occasional overspill of sound that you can hear, but there is a little there. Um, I'm sure you will get past that. Um, I am thrilled to be restarting a run of regular episodes with this man, Q commentator John Murray. John Murray, if Wikipedia is to be trusted, you're a 4th of December birthday like me, is that right? That is absolutely correct. What a coincidence. <laughs> you, me and Ronnie Corbett. What, what a trio. It's the trio <laughs> that people were waiting for and, uh, and never could be. But thank you so much for joining me. Um, really appreciate your time. To touch on a, a bit of your early history, um, brought up in Northumberland, um, farming country. You're a, uh, you're a very good farming stock, youngest son of four, uh, which meant there was probably only so many jobs left to do on the farm by the time your older siblings had done their share. Studied geography at the University of Wales, uh, a postgrad in radio journalism. You then joined TFM Radio, uh, a commercial local radio station on Teesside. And after doing news and sport there, you moved to Radio Cleveland, now BBC Tees around 1994, then transferred to the BBC Radio Sport Department a year later. Um, it's fairly concertinaed, if you'll excuse me, but I, I wanted to, to really just get into when did talking on the radio first occur to you as something you wanted to do? Talking on the radio first occurred when I went and did hospital radio in Hexham General Hospital in Northumberland. Uh, and, you know, that was that was a bit of a quirk, really, because it was a good friend of mine at school, Tim Weir, who who was more interested, really, in in getting into that sort of thing and doing it. And, and we were good friends. And he said, you know, just encouraged me to come along, which which wasn't something I particularly get wanted to get into. I was more interested in in sports journalism, probably more thinking about writing at that stage. Were you jockeying on the radio station? We were, yeah, we were. We were presenting together, um, but he was, you know, he was very much the, the the main man, and and I was just sort of going along for the ride, really. But I, re- <laughs> but I, you know, it's something I always say to to uh, young people who are looking to get into to broadcasting. I, I think there's no better way than do than doing that because it because it's just that basic thing of making you feel comfortable in front of a microphone. So I've never particularly felt daunted by by being in front of a microphone because because I, I did all that when I was at school and 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 got used to that then. And I think there's I think that um, if you can do that at an early age, I think it's a I think it's a big help along the way. Mm. And and so then when the kind of job at, at BBC Radio Sport came about, obviously, I think with many people, producing was uh, was the first thing you were doing at that stage. Um, why and how did the commentating then become part of it? Why did commentating appeal to you? Well, I'd commentated in, in local radio and, um, you know, got my first opportunity at TFM. And then when I moved to the BBC, when I moved to uh, BBC Radio Cleveland, as it was at the time, uh, I did some commentary there, but I mean, there, were, there, there was a very established commentator, Alistair Brownlee, who excellent, excellent commentator, who, who commentated for the BBC, commercial radio, um, and it, very sadly is no longer with us now. But, you know, absolute Middlesbrough nut 
and he was he was you know Middlesbrough through and through and uh, you know knew the club inside out knew the... and so when I moved to the BBC to work with Alistair and Gordon Cox as well who who was uh, who was there they were very much the established team so so really I did a little bit of commentary there but I was mainly working as the sports producer i.e. the sports editor at uh, at Radio Cleveland and and only did that for a year but I'd done all of my I'd done all of my groundwork as a commentator at TFM and and one of the very many strokes of luck that, that I've had, and I think you really need along the way, is that I worked at TFM with Charlotte Nicholl, who went on to become, well, she moved to London to the BBC Radio Sports Department as a broadcaster, but she moved into production. She became one of the main football um, producers, the main football producer, um, you know, a real pioneer in women's broadcasting. And, and re- really, Charlotte has been. And, and she knew because she was the one who encouraged me to, commentate in the first place when I really wasn't sure whether I would be able to do that and and because of that because of that fortune there Charlotte in in a position of influence in at the BBC in London when I moved into the department knew that I was I was capable of doing it and I had lots of experience so that was that was really a very fortunate break when I look back at it now. Mm, it, it, that, that, that reminds me of the of the chat I had with Sarah Orchard, where uh, you know Pete Stevens was was encouraging her to do it. And it's interesting the role that that producers can play yeah. in in recognizing talent and actually deciding, or, or at least you know suggesting that that this could be the path for you. Yeah, uh, I needed a nudge. Not everybody does, um, and even when I did it, I didn't feel for the first time. Because you, and that's it with commentary, isn't it? You, you can't do it a little bit. <laughs> you can, you can practice yeah. it, as I think we did, you know. And I'd, I'd reported on matches, and actually something Charlotte did way back when, and in my very early days, Ron Jones, who became a colleague and, and a good friend of mine, Ron, who is fine commentator for for BBC mm. Radio. Ron actually came and did a session with us all at uh, at TFM. Um, he took us to a York City match and we all had a little bit of a go at commentary and was really inspirational, actually, to to be able to spend time with someone like Ron, who ha- even then had a wealth of experience. What a voice to learn yeah, from. Yeah, great, great voice. Lovely man. Uh, and, you know, he, he laid down some basics for me then, which I th- still think of now. So to have had it guidance from someone like Ron at that really early stage of my development was uh, was such an important thing for me. But again, to take the step into commentating and to, to be there commentating on a full 90 minutes. And I was also standing in at the time for a, a you know, commentator, Bernard Gent, who, who again was was very much steeped in Middlesbrough and I was coming in cold to do it. I wasn't sure if I was, I was really ready to do it. And, um, you know, it, it, it was, it, I, you know, it didn't go very well. I, I mean, I would say, right. I would say that now I felt that it didn't go well. It didn't go as I wanted. It was a bit harder than I thought it was going to be really. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was going to be hard and it was harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Um, I mean, what's but, interesting you know, gradually you, got more opportunities. Yeah, what's interesting is, uh, I think, from, from some of the others that, you know, very keenly wanted to do this, you, you paint a picture that, that suggests you weren't necessarily sort of all in. No, I wasn't. And, I mean, I loved, I love and still love being involved in sports broadcasting in whatever way it was going to be. So and at that stage, I wasn't really sure whether I was going to be going down the, 
the broadcasting or the production route. And actually, when I first moved to London out, out of BBC Radio Cleveland, I moved as a producer. I mm. moved and worked on what we called at the time the local radio desk. So, so I moved there as a producer stroke broadcaster working to serve all of the local radio stations from within radio sport. And I was viewed as a producer. I, that was how I was earmarked as someone who would have a career as a producer for quite a while in my early stages. But because I was there, you began to get opportunities to broadcast, whether it was doing bulletins on Radio 1, Radio 4, five live but i mean for a long time i was the i was the breakfast radio sports bulletin producer at five live so ian carter our golf correspondent and uh and i were were quite a team at the time and you know i'd cut the clips for for ian and we'd go down and and ian would uh, would do the broadcasting oh, and it was only through you know occasionally filling in then i did a few weekends then i got you know again look played a part uh, you, you just get your opportunities and people notice you. And I remember being called in by Andy Gillis, our editor at the time. Mm. Um, and Bob Shannon was actually the head of radio sport at the time. He's now, you know, high flying in the BBC. But I remember Andy calling me in and Andy sitting behind the desk and actually saying to me, we might have got it wrong on you. You might actually make it as a broadcaster rather than the producer. And you know, once that once that had had clicked for them, mm. then you know, I was I was very sort of swiftly moved down the line into broadcasting, which is either a lovely reflection on your broadcasting or a terrible reflection on your producing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a, that sums it up very nicely. <laughs> um, it, I mean, you went on obviously once you started commentating uh, for the BBC. You uh, you were you were commentating on football. I know you're you're also uh, a, a cricket lover, and, and you know perhaps we'll come on to the influence that that has played in a second. But uh, you went on to to cover your first World Cup in 1998 in France. Um, I know you've spoken in another interview about that sort of moment of realization um, as to when that was going to happen. But uh, but how did you find those early years from from TFM through to to you know having a more in, more high profile role at, at BBC Radio in terms of finding your voice in terms of being comfortable with how you sounded. Yeah, I think one thing that really helped me at TFM was, and I've always really valued uh, a good summariser. And at TFM, I was really fortunate to work with David Mills, who who's now the the chief scout at Leicester City. So so at the time, he, he did quite a lot of broadcasting. David, you know, played for Middlesbrough, West Brom, Newcastle, um, and very good summariser very good summariser great to work with we had a good relationship and I think that that really helped the fact that the you know the first person that I worked with on a regular basis as a summariser I think made me realise that 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 relationship is very important and actually I think in many ways that the a good summariser can make a commentator and and all the way through my commentating career I have always been conscious of how important it is to have a relationship with your summariser. And you can do it in, in so many different ways. You know, there are lots of ways to skin that particular cat, mm. um, depending on depending on who it is, what their personality is. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? What their personality is like. If they've got, if they've got the credentials, if, they've, if yeah. they've done it, seen it all, and, you know, and I've worked with a few of those, 
that you can work on that. Yeah. If they've got the personality, you know, if they've got a strong personality, strong opinions, you can work on that. If they're funny, if the, if they if they're quirky, you can really I love that. That's my yeah. favorite. You can really work on that. That's my favorite. And of course, and of course the best summarizers are the ones who've got all of that. Uh, which is, you know, that's quite a rare th- to have all of those commodities is 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 quite a rare thing. But those are the things I, I look forward to, look for in a summarizer, and I, I I enjoyed trying to draw that out of them as well. Yeah, and and I guess you know the the style that that you had, and and you've mentioned I know before, but for for listeners of Q Commentator. Um, you were influenced by the sort of style of TMS of Test Match Special, weren't you? And and as we know, that's a very different style of broadcasting. It's more laid back. There's more hours to fill. But but actually, when I when I heard you say that, I thought that that does just put a couple of of, of drops of essence into what I hear in in a John Murray broadcast. And what do you think? What do you you know perceive that to mean when you say it, it influenced you? I. I mean, listen, I love it. I love Testament Special. Always have done. I mean, I've listened to hours and hours, probably days, probably weeks and months of <laughs> Testament Special over the course of my life. I was just listening to it now before I came here to, to, to talk to you on the, you know, the, the test matches that are being replayed. Yeah. And, um, you know, I used to love it as a well, listener. I still love it as a listener. But as a broadcaster, you know, I, felt, I feel like you you learn so much from different styles and ways because they're so the commentators that they use are, are so different. But I think generally what you what you're aiming at there is the style, that sort of style of it's a you know the basics. As Ron taught me all those years ago, that's the most important thing. The basics are the most important thing. So that is your base level of a commentary. But and I think to get to 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 craft a good commentary it's all about putting the layers on that and i think they do that brilliantly on test match special because you know they, they do have the time although as i discovered when i did t- dip my toe into to cricket commentary you haven't got as much time as you think mm. and they do, you know they do they do very well to be able to make you think that they've they've got lots of time and it is quite an art isn't it to be able to to be able to dip in and out and not miss anything—that's that's that's tricky. I found it. I found it quite draining. Taking, I guess, taking those visual clues from the fact that yes, they're wandering yeah. about and having a chat, but actually he's about to start his run yeah. up to bowl the next ball. So it's time yeah. to get out of the chat of of the letter that's been written in and and focus on the action yeah. again. And anything of great import could obviously happen with every single ball that's bowled. Um, but 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 it's. The entertainment, really, for me, that's that's what I love about Test Match Special, just the tone of it, mm. um, that, you know, as I say, it's it's serious, people take it seriously, people take their sport seriously, but at the same time, there, there's so much scope to have a lighter touch and to, to have a bit of fun with it, um, and, and that, I think, is very much what I've taken from, from Test Match Special over, yeah. over the years. The the nature of the commentaries that you will have done historically on radio over the years, I, I know it's changed a little more recently, but uh, but I'm fascinated by the nature of those football games where you would do a first half of a first half and hand over or, or the other way around, for example. Um, I, I can't think of many other sports or scenarios where two lead commentators would work so closely together and, and feed from a first half of a first half into into the second or know how to receive that. And... 
and that's a sort of it's a slightly slightly more interesting dynamic yes you're not finishing each other's sentences and doing one moment after another but but there is a nature of 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 being a team that that presents that that first 45 minutes or that second 45 Mm. I think it works so well from a listening point of view and as a broadcaster as well. I, I love it. And, I, and I'm, I'm so pleased that we still do it occasionally for, for big matches and for, um, for England games, international matches. Uh, we, we, we still do use it. So I commentate a lot on those matches these days with, with Ian Dennis, but I've, I've, you know, in my early years, almost every game we would do would be with two commentators and one summarizer. So the summarizer would be the constant all the way through the match. Um, but I felt that and, and feel that I learned a great deal from that, from, from the people I work with, you know, in the early days, they were almost all more experienced than I was. Um, I mean, that's got to be the rarity because you are literally yes. sat there for yes. your 22 and a half minutes with someone that in theory, and, and as you say, whether it's, you know, Mike Ingham or, or, or Alan Green or these, these sort of people who you're, you're getting to see how they do it. And yes, you're going to yes. have your style, but, but it's, you're, you're effectively shadowing for a half of football every game. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are, and um, and I think it works really well when uh, you've got different personalities as the two people, like we had with Mike Ingham and Alan Green. Yeah, you know, very different characters who really complemented each other so well. And in the previous era, you would have Peter Jones and Brian Butler, who were again very different in the style that that, that they had. But one of the things I like about, well, one of the many things I like about it is the fact that. You know, I, I work alongside my, my current contemporaries now and I worked alongside, you know, commentator alongside at the same matches with Mike Ingham and Alan Green, people like Ron Jones, Simon Brotherton. I mean, you name it, you can, you know, and so Mike and Alan will have commentated on matches alongside Peter Jones and Brian Butler, who will have commentated alongside people like Brian Moore, who was the, the, the first BBC Radio um, football correspondent, yeah, and then you, so there's a direct route there all the way back. You know, there's a like handing of the baton. Yeah, there is a handing of the baton. There's a handing of the baton, but also I think that it means that there's a a direct thread of radio sport history, whether it's football or any of the other sports that that um, that we do. That means that there is a. I'd like to think that there is some sort of consistency in terms of of the the way that we do it, and, and you know, I'm very I, you know I'm very proud of being a part of that. I have to say, yeah, I, quite rightly so. Uh, I think everyone would love to be part of of that that family of of brilliant broadcasters. Um, are there any ever any politics between? I mean, well, actually, the first question: Would it always go if you're working with someone else doing doing half a half? Would it always go sort of one two one two? Over the course of a game, would it go one two two one? So you'd finish the first half, pick up, do the first half of the second. Is there a set pattern? And then would there be politics over who gets one and two? Only very occasionally would it be anything other than one two one two. Yeah, and and generally you would defer to the more experienced commentator. Right, and you know, so as as I found the years going by, you know, I would find. I find it changing slightly from me turning up to a game where I would know that I would always be going first to a point where, you know, and there are quite a number of contemporaries of similar age, as I mentioned, Simon Brotherton, people like uh, Dave Woods, um, Conor McNamara, you know, as as we all um, 
began to work together and develop then we just sort of divvy it up and we would literally say to one another okay i went first this time you go first next time mm, okay and that's that's generally how it how it used to work and, um, and i imagine then if you are if you are going second you've got the opportunity probably during during the first half of of you know, while your your colleague has has gone through what they've seen, to perhaps start to pick out some other things to observe. Yeah, you might see more moments in in the crowd that that your colleague, you know, while they're concentrating on the players and the idea and the action haven't picked up. You might notice perhaps more murmurings on the touchline that the manager's done. So I guess you're able to start your section by put, painting a bit more colour that that perhaps the other the other person hasn't had the chance to do. Would that be right? Yeah. That's right. It's a, like a reset on the commentary. It's a different voice, different opinion, different viewpoint. Things that you can pick up that that have happened uh, in the say the opening twenty two and a half minutes that you can come back to uh, if there are big events or goals have been scored, particularly good goal have been scored. That means that that you can really you can you can revisit that. Um, so for me, it's a it's a much better all round broadcast. And as I say, we do it for England matches. So Ian, Ian Dennis, and I will commentate on England matches. And as you know, very often with international football matches, sometimes they can be quite hard work. So in those qualifying groups, where recently we've had England really steamrolling teams in their groups, and the games haven't been very good. You know, they've been so and two one sided. Mm. To have two of us is a real godsend. And and listen, it's not just the with England, the reason we do it, as as well as for the reasons that I've outlined, is also there's a lot of broadcasting that we do around England, yeah, or around big finals. So it's not ju- we're not just there for the match. No, indeed, we're, we're there the day before, the the night before, the morning of, throughout the day, tea time, the match, the morning after, yeah, and you know if it's a really big deal, you know it'll carry on throughout the next day. So we divvy up that work between us too, and all the various interviews that are to do as well. So that's part of the reasoning for it too. Yeah, very good. Um, how would you describe your voice? You've obviously got the northeast origins, and and there've been countless customer survey reports that have told us that uh, that British people are very amenable to a northeast accent. Um, how, how do you describe your tones? Yeah, I think I was quite fortunate in that when I made my move to the the BBC in London, in that there was effectively a vacancy for a northeast accent. Right. They, they, I mean, and if you remember at that time, which was early nineties, you know, sort of late eighties, early nineties, throughout the nineties, regional accents were were very much sought after, and I think there was a quite a quite a change then. And from a footballing point of view, George Bailey, who was around at the time, who'd been the reporting voice in the Northeast, was getting towards the end of his time. And I worked with George on the golf, actually. He was a really fine golf commentator, George. And, and a, you know, really good, good, fun bloke as well. Um, anyway, he was moving towards the end of his time. We had accents from all over the country. I think that really served me well. That I mean, we've got lots of broadcasters from the northeast of England now, mm. but at the time, I was pretty much the only one in that scenario. So I think that helped help my cause. I think I wish I, I wish I my accent was a little stronger. Okay, uh, you know, I I would in an ideal world. It's just naturally softened my my accent over the course of the years, but I think you know people still pick me out as as a commentator from the northeast of England. Um, and I would say, in terms of the the broadcasting voice that I have, you know, I do a certain amount of golf during the course of the year. 
personally, I think my voice does. My voice suits the golf quite well because、mm. when I do the quiet voice, which we have to do for the golf, yeah, I find I find my voice suits that quite well, and I can I can I can work I can work. Very quietly,、yes. very quietly,、yes. but still have quite a quite a clear voice.、Yeah. And and I mean, I love doing. I love the contrast between doing the golf, where the big moments are all about silence and speaking quietly, and then football, where it's all about the big moments are when it's all kicking off and it's all being about as being as loud as possible. That's that. I find that that just the, the whole thing about golf, the fact that you commentate on golf on the move, you've got to come. Constantly changing backdrop to describe,、uh, and for football, obviously you're sitting in one place. You know, again, I, I find them a really enjoyable contrast to work on those two sports in particular. Yeah, and would you? I mean, obviously for the football games, more so where you've you've got to be hitting the high tenor notes when those when those big moments happen.、Um, would you warm your voice up? Has it ever let you down in that in that It's way? It's let me down, yeah, several times.、Um, back in the old two commentator days, I remember losing my voice on the way to a match in Basel. Ian Brown was commentating、uh, with me at the time, the other commentator. So Ian was able, and you know, my voice packed up, and Ian was able to take it on. However, I've also similar、uh, FA Cup semi-finals a couple of years ago. Just ended up with a really sore throat. Was really struggling. It was too. It was too much. Actually, it was, and that took me out for a good couple of weeks after that before、mm. it was back to normal.、Um, so, do, so you, do you do anything to look after it? I don't. Pro- no, I don't particularly.、No. Um, I can feel it once we've had a layoff of the summer.、Uh, when you come back, I do, I do notice that if you if you then get an exciting game, you can you can feel it. And、um, I was actually thinking of that at the moment with, with this layoff that we've had, that、uh, that that'll be a little bit of an issue, I think, when we when we come back.、Mm. Um, but but I don't I don't do exercises, but I know you can, and we have in the past been encouraged to do that. But、um, you know, I I I I tend not, you know I, I, as a commentator, I try not to peak. Too much, yeah. Actually, but sometimes, if you you know certain matches with certain crowds, you know it's very difficult not to. Yeah, and and you have to, I guess, then be familiar also with that range, don't you? And and I think that's a musicality that's that's come up in a few conversations. People are used to hearing me mention that.、Um, do you like a song? What's me singing? Yeah.、Uh, I don't do a lot of singing, Nick. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I love music. I love music, but okay, I don't well, yeah, do a lot、go. of singing. No, I don't. Yeah, fair、no. enough. <laughs> Didn't know if it was something you might do in the car on the way to gigs. I mean, we've we, you know we've heard John Hunt talking about his.、Uh, par- oh, John's a great singer. He well, he well, he he you know his rendition of Paradise by the Dashboard Light on his way to、uh, to big race meets has、uh, has got to be heard to be believed by、uh, by all accounts. He he、um, has got a pair of lungs on him. He he is a really outstanding singer. For for enough, I don't know whether he, occasionally when we all get together. We do think which Connor Connor McNamara is、uh, is is the instigator of, and we'll pick a you know really well known song, and we all sing a line of it. So then, so I do do a bit of singing, and we'll do that round a big table. And John always steals the show. John Smashes、Hunt、it with his singing voice. Yeah, of course he does.、Um, get me an invite to that table.、Um, <laughs> I think everyone is thinking. What about the、uh, the prep then?、Um, you're a、uh, you're a hand writer of notes, aren't you? And yeah,、uh, and and you appreciate, I think, the、uh, the cerebral imprint that makes. 
Yes, I do. I find that hard, increasingly hard, um, possibly because I do do a lot of it. And so I can find it a bit of a drag and I find it, um, you know, to motivate myself to get on and get it do, done, particularly when you're going through a busy busy period of matches and how many hours would it take you to do a game uh, most of a day so i'd do that on a friday but things i don't i then because for the reasons i've I've mentioned there i tend to get easily distracted so it takes me longer so it'll take me all day on a friday uh, and i do like to work match by match so if i've got a game on a saturday and then i've got a game on a sunday actually i will then cram all of the work in for the sunday uh, or a lot of the work in for the sunday you know sunday night sunday morning yeah. And do it in, in half the time that I do it for the for the Saturday. I'm night. exactly the same. It's something about. Did you always leave your homework till the last minute? As well? Yeah, I did. Yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, I mean that's it's so so correct. It's funny actually. Um, uh, m- m- my daughter is completely the other way around, and I just expect I just expected her also to be like me and leave yeah. everything at the last minute. And I'm actually in awe of the fact that she'll do everything straight away. And I think oh, if only if only I'd done that. But I think it does actually serve me quite well. And you know, I I think uh, time off is important. And and I know I've got colleagues who will do lots of prep at various times during the course of the week. I prefer to just take a break from it and then try and and then and then do it intensely for a, a shorter period of time yeah mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 percent with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And uh, and I know that the sort of resources you use, although I guess you 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 can look at things online these days, you, you've also been a, a sort of an avid record keeper of your own. Yeah, very much so, and I quite like that because uh, I like it for a number of reasons. One of which is the fact that if you keep your own record, you know where everything is. Yeah, and you've got it ordered. Whereas if you're looking for stuff um, on the on the internet or wherever you're looking for it, you've you've got to find it. And you've got to find how it's there. I like to have my own records and I trust my own records. I also can take them with me. Uh, I use that a lot. I, I base I, I base a, a lot of in terms of the factual stuff um, on my own on my own record 
keeping mm. and um you know I, I i trust i trust my own record keeping really and and how encyclopedic are you in terms of the information that stays in your brain can you tell me who scored the second goal in a game you know a month ago or 10 years ago no i'm not really very good at that uh i i find that i do tend to shovel information in and then it's out and often I will find it hard to tell you uh, what happened in a match that I did a couple of weeks ago. But I think that's a, I think that's quite common. Um, and I think you, you learn to order your mind in that way and that you have to get the information in and you have to get out and then more information in. Um, and, it, you know, that that's just, I think that's just how the, how the brain works yeah. so i find it very hard you know i do i do have to i do have to write things down um because of the fact that i do find it difficult to to remember and so if i do often find myself going back on matches that i've done particularly with england i find uh, you know when several months have passed by before you've done a uh, an england game find myself having to go back and remind myself exactly what happened in those games yeah and we'll come on to we'll sort of touch on the other sports that that you're involved with obviously football is is primarily the one that most people w- will associate you with obviously with the golf and, and other pieces as well um looking at that prep obviously will you will you consider writing lines for the big moments or or lines that that you know are as, as a result of consequence so if they win by two goals it's qualification or or you know a certain milestone for a player is it is a is that something you'll prep yeah i do do that and um i just feel that over the years i've i've let, let myself down enough when those moments happen or not done them, let's say, not done them in the way that I would like to do them, mm. that I just think, and, you know, and just speaking to other commentators as well, who, um, you know, who will have said to me, yeah, just, I've written down a little, just a couple of lines there, and remember thinking, really? And then thinking, I might try that, <laughs> and um, and doing that, and it working for me. Um, and it just means that, uh, it's part of the preparation really mm. and yet you know it, it's live sport so things happen that you don't expect and remarkable things happen that you don't expect in live sport that you haven't prepared for and yet I found myself being able to to commentate on those events well uh, but I've also found it the other way as well where if you haven't prepared for something that you don't do it well mm. and I, I find generally speaking generally speaking if you have prepared for something and you've thought about it and you've thought what you're going to say and it happens and you deliver it, it tends, you tend to do it better when you've done all that yeah. than you do yeah. when it hasn't. Yeah, I would agree. And I I don't think you're you're someone that gets nervous ahead of commentaries. I think you've, you've said more about being excited, but, but I wonder if there's a sort of middle area where perhaps on some of the bigger occasions – there, there might be a touch of anxiety. I'm not, I'm not sure you can tell me. Even just to, to want to acquit yourself as well as you know you can. Yeah, there is that. So there is a, a nervous excitement about it. Mm. And um, is that about an inner because, confidence? Do you think about about wanting to to sort of know that that you can deliver what you know you can deliver? If that makes sense. I think so. And you want to do it justice. Yeah. You know that's the that's the bottom line you want to feel that 
you encapsulated what's happening. I think mean, that's the absolute basic, isn't it? Oh, no, yeah. But... You 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 want to you want to you want to in radio terms you want to paint a picture of what's happening and use the right words. Maybe use a nice phrase. Maybe say something that people will will stick in their minds that they haven't heard before, and you want to be able to get the overview on the, the whole incident or occurrence or goal that has happened, um, and that's a very difficult thing to do. That's why that's why for, to, for me commentary has this enduring appeal because that when you get all of that together. That is a real rarity, mm. a real rarity. And when it happens, or, or when you get close to it even, it is very satisfying to do that. It, but, yeah. but you see, I find, I find that, you know, you're aiming for that, but I also find that what, what pleases me is when you get a, when you do a 90 minutes in, in that way and that very very rarely happens you know things happen in the right way you feel good you get the right words out and uh, you have a good relationship with the summarizer you cover area you know things unexpected things happen you see I do I do these matches so often I like it when unexpected things happen and you go into unexpected areas mm. and to me I'm, I'm interesting myself there when that happens yeah um, so yeah, that makes sense. You know, sense. there's so many there's so many different aspects to to a commentary, and so that's what my excitement is about that. That my nervous excitement, and so when it's a big game, when it's a big game, big occasion, because it's a big occasion, you have a greater wish that you are able to do that. Um, well, you know, there's heightened interest as well, don't you? Yeah, you do, which sometimes puts a bit of which sometimes puts a bit of pressure, unconsciously or otherwise, on you. And I think actually makes it less likely that you'll be able to do it in the way that you would like to do it. Yeah, I think sometimes I've gone into some of the bigger games I've done and and thought, you know, here's here's a real opportunity. There'll be more people listening. Just make sure you nail it. And actually, at times, sort of just thought, you know, don't 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 risk anything. If anything, just almost play it down. But actually, I've yes. I found the more I think about those kind of things, almost the more I'm then inhibiting myself. And it, you've just got to go in and, and, and concentrate as best you can on telling the story, haven't you? Yeah. I'll tell you, it's a good example of that is I only occasionally do TV matches, so match of the day games. So I'll do one once in a while. and you do. So I, f I find exactly what you're saying there, that I'll go into radio matches and really... For the most part, I'm very relaxed going into those matches. Mm. But, but for TV, there's enough different about a TV commentary, particularly when you're commentating on it for highlights. It's not a live broadcast. And just all of the various other things that are involved in it yeah. means that you're not, you, you're just slightly on, not on edge. You're just slightly wary of things being different. Mm. And, um, you know, some people are, are brilliant at switching between radio and TV. Uh, some people have decided, right, I, I'm, you know, if I'm going to do TV properly, I'm going to have to stop doing radio, which is absolutely fine. You know, you do what's right for you. Um, and and I, I've, I, I just find it different enough to, to even, you know, I've done it for years and years now. And yeah. I'm still not, yes. not being able to conquer making that, that switch directly from from one to the other. And I think, you know, I think to do that, I, I, I think I am one of those people who would have to say, right. I'm not going to do radio. I'm going to do TV. Yeah. yeah. 
but I don't particularly want to do that because I enjoy doing the radio so much. Yeah, I think people would miss you from radio if you did. But interesting that interesting that you you have that challenge um, with with the experience that you have. Why do you think that is? Um, I I just think I think it's it's as I say, it, there's just that difference. That is that there is that difference, and also, you know, I don't have a summarizer alongside me, <laughs> so. It feel doing radio feels like a natural thing. Radio commentary feels like a natural thing because you've got someone there and you're talking to them and you're talking about the game, and radio's radio, so it can be a, a you know there aren't gaps there. You you are able to do what feels like it comes naturally, whereas TV I will often find myself sitting there on the gantry doing a match for match of the day and thinking. I am sitting here talking to myself, <laughs> and this feels really odd. And there's no, there's no one about it, you know. And so something will happen. Blah, you know, it's so it's a goal. <laughs> Liverpool have taken the lead, and it's been scored by Mo Salah. No At one the cares. Point where I normally turn to the summariser, then it's that instead of doing that, you're turning to your. You screen and you're talking over the the goal, <laughs> yeah. the, the replays that have been shown. So it's just, it just doesn't feel as natural. Yeah, I, do you know? I wonder whether part of that, and and I'm I'm imposing my perception on on what you've said, but I wonder if, given what you said about the joy of of being of sort of changing the scenario and talking nice and low tones in the golf, that kind of thing, and having having the summarizer in 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 the in other scenarios, I wonder if it's something about the intimacy of broadcasting that is of a big appeal to you and maybe there's something about being sat in in front of your tv screen that feels almost too much like individual grandstanding when when actually what you're in it for is to be able to intimately tell stories to people through their radio or to the person sat next to you or at the back of the 17th green with the wind you know in your hair that kind of thing and and maybe there's there's something just less intimate about about the that that sort of example you paint yeah i think so and i do i think you're right and and also you know generally the radio is quite a small operation and 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 with radio obviously the commentator is all important mm. all important um you know without the commentator you've got absolutely nothing yeah whereas with tv clearly the pictures are the most important yeah and and also with TV, it feels like you are just a small cog in a very big operation. So it's about your you ego know. then, instead. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe there's a maybe there is a maybe there is a little bit, bit of. I, I tell you what it is. I think it is a control thing. You know, in the in that with the radio, I do feel. You know, I am I am now in the in the ultimate position of control as the commentator. Yeah, that's fair. Whereas for TV, you know, I've just been in the trucks outside. I've seen all of the people who are there. Mm. I've got all of the, I've got the sound people, the cameraman, the, you know, that all around me, the floor manager, the people who are on the touchline. Um, you know, clearly, you know, you're, you're deferring back to, you know, whoever's in the studio for match of the day that night. You know, it, it's, there's that in your, in your mind mm. as well. To, to misquote uh, Dirty Dancing, no one puts John Murray in the corner. <laughs> you said that not me <laughs> quite we'll leave that there um tell me about the other sports that, that you enjoy you mentioned golf as well and you've been involved in the olympics too yeah olympics and also um involved in in 
in big events as well, which I, I really enjoy. So the um, the William and Kate royal wedding, the the last jubilee, the Queen's jubilee. I was commentating um, on on those, and uh, you know I love I love doing that sort of thing. That's a that's a completely different challenge. Yeah, the Olympics wow. commentating on I mean commentating on the. Um, uh, London 2012 opening and closing ceremonies was a big thrill and a big challenge to try and get that, to try and, to try and um, put across what was happening inside the the particularly for the opening ceremony for that was yeah. was a real I mean that's a real privileged position to 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 be in there uh, and the Olympic sports you know which by definition I'm less comfortable with. And that's a completely different sort of challenge. So I've done all sorts. I've done rowing, which uh, really enjoyed. I've done equestrianism, done three-day eventing, <laughs> table tennis. Uh, what else? Judo. All, all, you know, which is really just dipping my my toe into into those sports. But yeah. I think you learn something from all of those sort of experiences. You you get something out of it, and you you find your ways. And I find that that you I find that that refreshes me to go away. I love doing football, love it, um, and I'll do it for 90% of the year or more. But I find I get refreshed by going and doing something different like that. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I generally like to, I would not want to just be a football commentator and going from commentary to commentary to commentary. I, I know I need a little bit more, otherwise I do get a little bit stale, um, and I just need to think about things differently. Yeah, and in terms of those non-sporting events you'd mentioned, I, that that it, it, yeah, of course, I'd forgotten that you'd you'd been involved in those. And is is there is there an element of of wanting to either you know go, in some way represent or entirely disassociate from an old school Pathé News voice <laughs> that would often report on these sorts of events many mm-hmm. years ago? Yeah, I think so. Although I think you know, I think those. I think those days are are long gone. Yeah. Uh, although when I've done those events, it's been very much it, it's been a five live thing, and so I think five live are quite keen to to have that. So you'd have your distinct radio four style of um, of coverage, and mm. then the the five live coverage would be would be different. Um, but I think you know the reason that they ask us. I mean, I was listening the other the other week to the um, VE day. Um, commemorations mm. and looking back to 1945 so uh richard attenborough was was there i think in the in whitehall but also stuart mcfarlane was being used who who was um you know uh, football or was it george allison uh no no it was stuart mcfarlane was being used who was one of the sports commentators at the time so i think it's just been something that bbc radio has always done when it comes to events like that to to use the the sports commentator so peter jones was was someone who, who yeah. would be used for occasions like that mike ingham was used as well um because of the the basic ability to commentate yeah on 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 events on saying that are unfolding in front of you say yeah. what you say yeah um i love I, I like the idea if they sort of you know did it job lot and actually brought in you know pat nevin alongside you <laughs> pat would love to do that <laughs> I dare say he would. Um, what uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there have been moments that you've you've perhaps been been less happy with as you've gone through your commentary career. Um, how do you deal with with perhaps moments when you're on a live commentary and, and you know you've made a mistake? 
just get on with it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Try and put it out of your mind. Even even big mistakes. Uh, listen, you can't go back, can you? Mm. It's out there. It's a it's a it's it's a piece of live commentary. It happens. You know, everyone everyone in every single walk of life that they do makes mistakes, you, and you don't want to make mistakes. Um, and you just have to get on with it and put it out of your mind. And I'm quite good at you know stopping myself thinking about that. You know, it's happened. You know, just just forget it. Yeah. Uh, and listen, we're in a very fortunate position that we do what we do, and you know I think most of us enjoy it a lot. A, a lot. It's very fulfilling and rewarding. But it is what it is. You know, no one, no one, no one gets killed here. Yeah. You know, you make a mistake, so what? You correct it. Yeah. And yeah. and get on with it. I mean, are people bothered? I'm not. I'm not sure. They are terribly bothered, are they? As long as yeah. they've got the, as long as they've got the information that they need, then um, I think. I think people are satisfied by that. And it does you no good. It does you no... And listen, that's not to say that, you know, I'll have weekends where I don't I don't um, perform as I would like to. And that I find that does get you down a bit. You know, that does get to you. And things happen and, and they don't turn out the way that you want them to. So I'll drive home on a Sunday night and, you know, it'll, it will niggle away. That will niggle away at me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I know that there's going to be another commentary coming along, or at least until this happened, uh, there was. Um, you know, I I know that there would be another one in a, in a few days' time, and you get another opportunity to to do it. Um, so I've I've sort of trained myself over the years to deal with that sort of thing. Who were the uh, the voices that that you emulated, perhaps, and uh, and and who are who are the voices out there currently that uh, that that you think are doing good work? Uh, stacks and stacks uh, I think you you learn something from everyone like I say just now switched on the radio um, to one of the old test matches that's been played Henry Blofeld comes on and you know you just have that you know when I switch the radio on and it's Henry Blofeld's voice you know I instantly think oh you know I'm going to listen to this you know I might learn something here I mm. might get I might get something out of this lots of the test match special commentators I was saying Christopher Martin Jenkins was a big I was a big fan of his Brian Johnson um, people like um, oh gosh, Tony Coates. I mean, all of the all of the Testament special commentators. Yeah. That, that yeah, you would you would glean things from, and the football commentator. I mean, the, the right across the range, whether it's TV or radio, all of the commentators that I grew up listening to. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, it sounds like I'm sort of just giving a wide brush stroke. You learn something from everyone that you commentate with. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if it's someone coming through, I think that's quite exciting as well. Someone who's doing it for the first time, like Vicky Sparks, who I've worked with recently, worked with at the Women's World Cup last year, who's absolutely desperate to 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 learn more about it. And it's a two-way street. You know, I'll learn things from listening to how Vicky copes with big matches having not done many big matches mm. you know we we covered the the uh, the England semi-final at the World Cup last year in Lyon and you know it's, I just find it really interesting to see how how someone like that deals with a with a big match having not not been involved in too many matches like that so um 
you know, there's something there's something to be learned from absolutely everyone. I I I, I find. Yeah, no, I think there is. Um, just a few more then, uh, John. Before I let you go, um, you obviously you talked about being a, a BBC radio correspondent, and uh, well, look, going back to to the first in 1963, O'Brien Moore. There was Brian Moore, then Brian Butler, then Mike Ingham, and then John Murray. So there have been four of you that have had that role in 57 years. That's some fine uh, company to be keeping. And uh, well, if you're in your early 50s, hopefully there's uh, there's a fair bit more to come from you. But in that sort of role and, and with ultimately there needing to be not only football to, to report on, but also to commentate on, do, does the future of broadcasting and, and sort of sports rights and, and that side of thing worry you? And I don't necessarily mean solely with a BBC hat on, but but in terms of the exposure of, of sport to people that, that should be given the chance to see it. Yeah, a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's changed dramatically even in the time that, that I've been uh, in in the radio sports department since the mid 90s. In that, that was a time when we had all football, you know, BBC Radio would commentate on all football at all levels. Yeah. And we would, as I say, we'd have two commentators and we'd go here, there and everywhere. And, you know, things change and, you know, competitors talk sport arrive on the scene and it becomes a much more competitive marketplace. And, you know, the sheer number of radio stations now that there are, and, um, you know, there's every chance, wouldn't that, will there be? I don't know. There'd be more competitors to do, to do radio sport in the, in the future. So it, it is, you know, I do wonder, I do wonder where, where our department will go. And obviously we have the pressures on the BBC financial and otherwise at the moment. Um, but I still think that we have, a strong position in that particular market. Um, I think there is a question as well over radio listening, you know, over how much will people will continue to listen to the radio. You know, I would like to think that, that, that discerning people will, will still listen to, to sport on the radio and enjoy it. And I think they do, you know, but I think it becomes increasingly cultish as, as time goes by. Um, but, uh, but, you know, there is a, a tremendous drive at the moment across the media. And listen, it's not new this. This has been going on for decades to try and get more younger listeners. And um, I think naturally, it's just my hunch. It's not based on any scientific workings. But I just think that, that people, generally, people will listen to more speech radio as you get older. I agree. And I think that... I think that that is something that doesn't change. And I think a lot of people, you know, there are a lot of lonely people out there in the world who use the radio for company. And I think there are a lot of people out there who enjoy the intimacy of radio, whether it's, whether you know, speech radio, whether it's whether it's listening to plays on Radio 4 or, or phone-ins on LBC or, or you know, sports phone-ins on, on TalkSport, whatever it is. Um, you know, there is something very special about the, the intimacy of radio, which is why I think it will endure. But, you know, the, it, it really has to battle for its place in the marketplace. And, and, you know, I don't see that getting any easier. What would you like to have commentated on that you've never had the chance to? I would say Test Match at Lords. OK. Ashes, Ashes Test Match at Lords and... That As came said, out did, very quickly, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, well, you know, I think if anyone who's listened to this, they will already have worked out that, you know, I love my cricket 
love going to Lords, my favourite sporting venue. Yeah. Without, without you know, I would name that absolutely straight away, Lords. Um, and you know, I dipped my toe into into Test Match Special, so I have done you know, I've done Test Match Special. I'm very proud of that. Did an England tour, which is which of Sri Lanka. This is way back. It was about 2003. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it. Um, but you can I find personally, you can't do football and cricket. That's that's almost an impossibility. Yeah, I think you've got to commit to one or the other. And I mean, I take my hat off to to all of the cricket commentators because that is a very different way of life. And that was a way of life that I just thought I'm not sure I can handle this. And I like the football way of life, where it's much more. You know, coming and going, coming and going. Mm. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time away from home, but you, you know, you do tend to to come back. They're short trips, apart from the tournaments. You know, they're all short trips, and even even the tournaments, which seem long to us, the football tournaments, really for a cricket tour would be relatively short. Yeah. So, um, so, so, it, it means also for me, it means that not working professionally in cricket as a broadcaster means that I can just enjoy cricket. And that's one I'm not really. I used to be when I was growing up, and I was absolutely, you know, mad for the averages and all that sort of thing. Don't get involved in that at all now. You know, I just I love being able to watch cricket really casually and just and just wondering. I love going to county cricket. I love just going in, watching it, thinking, oh, who's this? You know, and find, you know just a little bit, find out, and then thinking, don't need that for work. Can 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 get rid of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, based on that so remark, it would be. That. It would be remiss of me to to not then ask: Does commentating on football as often as you do take a little bit of the joy out of being able to relax and watch it? Uh, does it? Um, does it take any? Of it? No, it doesn't actually, because because I find that that's a, di- a totally different thing. Because I then have a professional motivation there, which is exciting. Mm. Uh, that's I love that. I love that challenge. So I don't, I don't, it doesn't, not at all, actually. Um, Good, fine. Because that, because that challenge is always there. Yeah. Uh, And and I still like, you know, I I still like watching a, you know, maybe a Europa League game on a Thursday night. I like going to, just before the the lockdown, went to a National League, uh, a game in National League uh, North. And, you know, really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed it. Um, When I don't have to think about, you know, commentating. Mm. So, you know, I'm not one that would always want to be commentating on a match. I, I generally quite like sitting and watching, not having to think about commentating. On <laughs> yeah. And not having to cram your notes in in the last hour. Yes, absolutely. Um, Very much so. I know you mentioned that Ron Jones gave you some, uh, some some golden nuggets. I mean, what would be two or three bits of advice that, that you might give to someone looking to become a commentator or to improve? Yeah, the basics. Remember the basics. Ron gave me a list of, I think, 20, 25 things. Wow. He said, he said, you know, just basically headlines, headline, you know, bullet points. You know, these should be in your commentary. Obviously, the top one is the score. The most important thing in radio commentary is to make sure people know what's going on. Um, and so, so that, like most jobs, the basics, absolutely important. And the other piece of advice that I really like giving is that all of the statistical information, and there's more and more statistical information in football now than ever before. And, you know, that's all freely available. And any commentator really can find that statistical information. That's freely available. What's 
what is individual to the commentator is what comes out of their head, their imagination, the words that they use, phrases that they use that you've never heard before. So that that is is just as important as the factual side, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. And finally, then um, the day comes when uh, when you're approaching your last match, uh, your last gig um, in the Q commentator, Q commentator fantasy final commentary. Can be a week, could be a weekend, could be a single match, could be a reliving. Um, what would be the sort of job you'd be happy to call your last? <sighs> well, I mean, I think Mike Ingham went out brilliantly with a World Cup final in Brazil in the Maracanã. I mean, and I'm not sure Mike has done another commentary since. I think that was it. Why would you? Now, that is a pretty good way to go out. I think that would take some topping. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, John, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think the uh, the warmth in which you broadcast and uh, and the intimacy you create, whether it is uh, a, you know on a on a golf course or uh, in a raucous stadium, the ability to do so is uh, is what makes you so popular with people. And uh, and I think where you say it is down to commentators and 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 what comes out of their head, you certainly have uh, have the insight and paint the pictures that that allow us all to enjoy what's coming out of your head and to and to exactly identify with with what you're bringing us um long may it continue um i really appreciate your time and uh, and thank you very much indeed no thanks nick thanks for thanks for asking me and yes i hope i hope we've got a few more left in in us yet absolutely john thanks a lot thanks nick I hope you enjoyed that chat with John. Great company, isn't he? Just wonderful. Uh, Please do leave a review on iTunes if you enjoyed that. It would mean an awful lot to me if you could. Uh, I loved hearing about how John leaves his homework to the last minute. Uh, Many of us identify with that from uh, all walks of life, uh, as adults particularly. Uh, I was also reassured to hear that he's not got an encyclopedic brain in terms of his knowledge and recall of goals or particular moments, uh, which uh, is certainly more like me. Uh, Reassuring, we are all different though of course. Um, Just my huge thanks to John, who was such a great guest and remains such a brilliant broadcaster. I will be back uh, with another next week. You can find the pod on Twitter, on at QCommentator. I'm on at Nick Heath Sport. Thanks for listening, and it's goodbye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.